Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. She's a business professional CEO, co-host of the Something on My Mind podcast, Personal Finance. It's Cindy Saramac. How are you doing today, Cindy? Good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm doing good. I'm so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Uh, well, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, so um, have a great history. My, you know, my family goes way, way, way back. I actually have um, my great grandfather was an inventor, came to America from Hungary. Um, my my background, I'm Hungarian and and um, Czechoslovakian, so strong like bull. My grandmother used to say. <laughs> But um, he was an inventor, and uh, so the history of my family is in manufacturing in the Chicagoland area, so uh, manufacturing and uh, plastics are very near and dear to my heart, but I grew up in a middle-class family in um, the suburbs. We grew up on a lake, you know, had a a really easy childhood. Um, Brother, two parents stayed together. Um, you know, and then had some hiccups along the way when it hit my teenage years. So um, my parents separated at that point. And, um, you know, so I would say therein lies the challenge, um, you know, just sort of dealing with first, you know, let's say kind of first world trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> is your parents divorcing um, when you're in the in pretty formative years in your le- of your life. But I don't, you know, I don't look back um, I would say with any, uh, anything but gratitude for the challenges and they're back together. They were separated for a long time. It, it was through a self for a loop at that point, but um, ended up getting back together, um, ended up uh, leaving home and following my high school sweetheart to Michigan um, at, at the uh, ripe age of just about 19 and a half. Um, no car, no job. And uh quickly learned that life is tough yep. and relationships are tough. And um, these are things that I look back and now can look forward and help people along the way to say, hmm, you might want to change this or change that about the choices in your life. Um, I don't judge anybody. I've been on all sides of life, truly. So um, basically followed him. He was very abusive, ended up, uh, you know, in a, in a bad way of that relationship fell right into another relationship in a worse way. Um, spent 16 years in a very abusive, um, domestically abusive relationship with someone that was very mentally ill, very bipolar, ended up raising two kids with him. Um, and my kids do not talk to him (laughs) to, to this day. At, at the age of 18, they both made the choice to leave that behind. Um, so we, you know, a lot of challenge, a lot of trauma along the way um, ended up, you know, this is the very short abridged version of uh, where I am today, but ended up meeting David, who is my husband um, and co-host in life in all aspects. Um, and when I met him, I was a broken, you know, I had just healed from being a very broken, beaten, broke, and bankrupt dog. And, um, you know, today I, I rose to the challenge of life. Um, I am a COO of a, you know, wealth management firm. I broke the glass ceiling as a female through challenges, through adversities. And I stand today feeling very proud of where I came from. Two years ago, I got hit by a car walking out of the office across the street. So it was, you know, that uh, that was another challenge and trauma in life that I wouldn't wish upon anybody. But here I am because I'm strong like bull, as my grandmother would say. Um, and so, you know, the, the gratitude that I have for where I am at right here in this seat right now with you is uh, never ending and strong and never taken for granted. As you were growing up, did you have a passion or something that you wanted to be like that dream job that you were going for? Um, actually, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I, well, actually it was in theater. I always wanted to be an actress. My, my mother's father, my grandfather was, you know, I'm like, seemingly you have money. I mean, I knew very young growing up that my, my, uh, family had some wealth. Um, so I was constantly asking my grandfather to buy my way onto the, this, I I feel like you're probably going to be a little 
too young to remember the gong show. <laughs> but I, yeah. <laughs> please don't tell me that. Um <laughs> so yeah, I, I was like, I'll do anything. I'll do cartwheels. I'll, you know, I'm I want to be in the theater. I want to act. I want to dance. I want to sing. I couldn't sing. I couldn't do any of it. Um, that was my passion. But then my dad used to drive me to school every day to high school. And we would stop at Louie's gas station. And Louie's son was a commodities broker and a commodities, commodities trader in Chicago. And I'm like, I have no idea what it means, but that's what I want to do. And it was just like this innate sense, like, oh, that that's what I want to do. So my high school yearbook picture actually says, you know, who are you? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, see me if you want to buy stocks. Um, so seven years later, I was actually, I was in the tile business for the first seven years after high school. I didn't get a college degree. I, I have the College of Hard Knocks, went to uh, community college for a little bit Um and then as, as life would put me in the right situation at the right time, I met somebody in the financial world who said, you know, you might want to try your hand in, in the wealth management field. And I said, where have you been? I mean, <laughs> this is seven years after my dream of, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. I didn't even know why. And here I am 30 years later um, in the position that I'm in and, and just uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of tenacity and a lot of challenges that got me into the position. So Truly, wealth management was my dream job. It's so interesting. You go from theater to a completely... <laughs> oh, no, no. I still want to be an actress. Okay. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. <laughs> the, That's that still in, yeah. is not forgotten someday. It's just crazy that you just... Some guy at gas or at Louis... That was it. And th- that you're like, I want to do this. It's just it's just so different like it's, areas, but I know. I guess there it's just something that if you get hooked onto it, you're yeah. going to do anything to still do that. Well, to be honest, I didn't even know why. I mean, that's I think that's part of this innate thing in my heart and soul. I I get up every day and you know, even through the challenges that I went through for 16 years and I mean, there was times I was being held up against the door, like, you're not going to work today, like, you know, and, and calling the police and having the police come and being so fearful, um, and going to work and crying in the bathroom for the first, you know, on and off intermittently the first couple hours of the day. And like, okay, this is not who I am. That person is the person at home. Um, I can, I get to be, and I guess, you know, Alex, when I think about it, the acting part was getting to work like, okay, I can act this out. I can be who I want to be. I can, and that's the innate part of who I am is, you know, um, letting everybody know I'm good. I'm good. I'm just going to cry this out in the, in the room for a minute and I'm going to keep working hard and face this challenge. So um, I guess maybe that's part of the, let's say the act. And, and although it wasn't an act, you know, that's the genuine part of who I was, but I got to act it out during the day. I couldn't do that at home. Well, it's almost like when people watch a movie or a TV show that the character they can relate to, it's almost like they're in that kind of, that trans and they're kind of relating to what that person, even though they're actually going through it real life in situations. And then how you talked about putting a front on where people don't know what's happening. And we see that all the time. I think with the, with social media, people are putting what they think people want them to Absolutely. But then when you're behind the phone, writing that post, you know, that it's not what that person's really thinking at that time. No. And that's, I think that's probably the biggest you know, misnomer about social media. And, and trust me, like I, you know, I watch the people that I know, like they don't have a good marriage, but they're posting, you know, all these beautiful pictures about, and and it's people maybe that I know that I know what they're telling me on the side. And that's why, you know, I, I didn't hide it. I just worked through the challenge of it. The people that knew me and, and, you know, I, like I said, I've always been a kind of an open book, um, because I wanted people to understand, like, if I'm off today, it's because I was spit on before I got to work, okay, but I'm going to work through it um, and manage your expectation of what I should be here on the job and not let this get, in. I can't let that person take my weakness and let mm-hmm. me 
stop what I'm doing today to get to rise to the challenge of my next step. So it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy. Yes. Acting and finance. (laughs) (laughs) With that first relationship you talked about with the person you came out of high school with, did you feel that you could get into serious danger that you never knew if this was going to be the last day? Um, Not with that person, but definitely with the person I spent 16 years with. And so that person, that first person who, you know, interestingly came back years and years later, he found the church, he found a, a beautiful woman to marry, went on to marry and have three beautiful daughters um, and came back to me and said, I can't tell you how sorry I am for what I did to you. And I said, oh, that was nothing, you know, you, and he said, that makes me even more sad because I pushed you into something even worse than what I did to you. And, you know, that was, um, the first go around. And it's interesting getting into that first relationship. I had my aunt as, as she stands today, sat me down and said, if you go and follow this person to Michigan, you go with your eyes open. This is not a good situation for you. Um, and you know, it's, you're young and you're stubborn and you want to go out and be free. So I didn't listen to, to what I should, you know, all that internal stuff mm-hmm. is real. Like, you know, I mean, any woman that's in a situation that knows that there's some issue there, you know, they, you know, you just don't know how to get out of it. And that's what I try to teach people how to get out of it. Um, the second relationship, which is who are the, who's the father of my children. Um, yes, many times there was times he called and threatened my parents and said, I tell her to back off. I'm going to, I'm about to take her out. Um, and my parents lived out of state. My dad was like packing his bags to run down the stairs. And my mom said, okay, you go kill him. You're going to be in jail. He's dead. There's nothing. And now you're gone. You know, you can't, you can't take that kind of action. Um, I slept in a separate room for a while. Um, he financially, he, <laughs> I have a very lengthy and sorted story, but he had inherited a bunch of money um, along the way in our marriage. And it was his money, not mine. He's, and it was clear it was his money and not mine. Um, he ended up spending every dollar of over a million dollars that he inherited um, and broke me, broke us, literally, like lost a car, lost a boat. Um, by the time I finally escaped that marriage, I had to file bankruptcy. I had nothing. I lost my house. I was homeless with my two children. Um, but I always figured being alive and, and completely broke was better than being um, dead and in the house trying to protect something that, you know, I always thought that you have to stay to try to even give some family unit to your children, even if it's dysfunctional, uh, because you don't think functionally mm-hmm. when you're in that situation. You can't see clear. I'm in wealth management and I was somehow broke. You're in a situation that, you know, you're financially broke because of this person doing this. So it's very situational, very circumstantial. Um, and you're broken at the same time. So you're trying to balance all these little demons, personalities, angels, you know, all of it. So yeah, there I slept in a separate room. I slept with a giant vase that was a heavy glass vase that I figured if, if this, I had no lock on my door. So every night I'd go to bed, just like, you know, please let me just get through tonight. And, and um, that vase was going to take that person out um, and I was going to use it if I had to. So did you notice any signs when you got into that relationship? I did. I did. And, you know, that this is where I, I would say if, you know, people, I say, you have to take a step back from a relationship, not get into a relationship. I say for two years, if you're coming out of a relationship, that's not healthy. um, I didn't do that. I went from this type of person to a completely opposite type of person thinking that was going to solve the problem. Uh, But I have, you know, I'm a writer. um, Thanks to my Mrs. Fisher and my sixth grade uh, English teacher to this day. I love language and the spoken word and the written word. Um, So I have stacks and stacks of journals of, you know, basically if I'm gone, (laughs) you'll know where to find me um, or look for me. But uh, very early on, journals right in the beginning of the relationship 
I have journals I look back that it was completely dysfunctional then and I felt trapped. So, you know, taking, not taking the time in between to get myself healthy. Um, and again, I'm, we're talking, I'm a 23 year old girl at that point. You're just, you're in a la la land if you're in that kind of situation. So, yeah, I mean, I knew there was signs really early on, but it was, it really started happening when I had my first child and he went bonkers, like bonkers. So have you, have you been able to be open with your children about what you've gone through and they're able to understand the impact that it had on you and the things that you might be going through or that still worry you about future things? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, um, I always tried to put the game face on to them and it's like, I would say this to anybody in this situation, if you think your kids aren't noticing, you're dead wrong. You're just dead wrong. And if you think you're staying together because your kids aren't noticing, you're dead wrong. Um, So my children, you know, as early on as two or three years old, my son, before my, um, before my daughter was born, you know, walked in on the kitchen floor and I was being choked and clothes ripped off and, and I, I can remember my husband, their dad at the time, and we don't even refer to him as their dad at this point. They, they, they refer, my daughter, my son doesn't talk about him. My daughter refers to him by his first name, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they knew what was going on. I mean, he was punching holes in the walls with bear. I became a very good speckler. Let's just say like, I knew how to speckler drywall really well um, after the first hole because he would stand in her room and just scream at me you know you don't know how to raise your child you don't know she you know she's controlling you I mean just like this demonic manipulation of her brain and my brain um, and then you know punching a hole in her bedroom wall and saying it's my fault you know so um, she looks back with a lot of a lot of trauma um, that we've all had to sort of face and try to heal from. And, you know, this is, I mean, that was, I filed for divorce in 2009 and we still have nightmares. So I've, you know, I've gone to therapy. I've tried to erase the memory um, and, and take that, that turn and that positive spin on it. Like I can say, I wouldn't change anything only to say that, I wish I had gotten out sooner, Mm -hmm. but now I can tell people like mental illness is real. Um, If you, you know, there's help out there um, and you don't have to stay in those situations, no matter what, no matter what. So, you know, my kids suffered a lot. Um, And so, yeah, we, I didn't have to sit sit down and say like, your father's a nut bag. (laughs) They knew full well, their father had some challenges in life. And, and I, loved him. I loved him. I had two children with him. I had a weird dysfunctional love for somebody um, that was hurting me badly. Um, So yeah, we all got some help. My son did not. My daughter, you know, we went through some therapy. um, But it's interesting because they grow up. It was my daughter at eight years old and, and laying in the bed. I had to go on a business trip the next day and she huddled in the bed with me and she said, mommy, please divorce him. I'm like, you know what divorce is? You know what this means? You know what you're, she said, please, please, can we go? And I, you know, so that guilt I'm going to take with my, me to my grave. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've talked it out. We've rose to the challenge of life. She uses it to, you know, relate to others in that situation. Um, And there are others she's gone to college with. She starts talking and they're like, oh yeah, my dad's like that my dad's in jail, my dad, you know, so um, I didn't have to have that conversation. They saw it. You talked about it earlier about when you went through the divorce and you filed for bankruptcy. Did you feel that that bankruptcy was kind of like, it, it was leading to a fresh start in a way because yes, that was a, be- a burden on you, but you knew that that was going to be in your past. And now you can start a fresh new life with your kids and get yourself back on your feet in a way. Yeah. I mean, I would say the bankruptcy at first, like, I'm like, no, 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 that's 10 years. I can't do that. I'm in finance. How is that going to look that somebody in finance, 
can't manage their own life. But, you know, the fact is, is um, he had a boatload after he lost all the money, a boatload of debt. And my name was attached to that debt. He was taking out credit cards, refinancing our house. I mean, we were so underwater in the 2008 crisis hit. I had a, a house loan that was 85% loan to value and the market dropped and I was stuck with, oh, and by the way, I got stuck paying alimony because oh. he never wanted to work for the man. Um, and by, you know, eight hours of him pressuring me with his attorney, I, I he wanted the, the house, the kids and a lot of money a month. I'm like, I'm barely surviving on the salary. I'm surviving, trying to take care of the family solely. Um, and so, you know, the bankruptcy was not really my choice. It was my attorneys, but the best thing I could have done. And that's another thing I would say to any female in that situation or male in that situation. Um, it's a 10 year look back. Sure. But you know what? Um, you can get a car. I got a car. I paid 16% interest, but I got a car. Um, you can dig out of it. And, and, you know, now I teach it. Now I can relate to anybody in a situation. I challenge you, you know, to say, I can find you money. I can figure out money for you. Um, because I, in the fog of things, I wasn't managing my own life the best way I should. And that was buying my kids love with food and toys and things they didn't need. They just needed me to be there mm -hmm. for them and sit at the dinner table and buy a $3 box of spaghetti and sauce and have a conversation. So you know, I'd like to look back and say I didn't do all bad because I don't think I did. I have great kids. They're super successful. Um, but there there was some hard times along the way. So, you know, back to the bankruptcy. I mean, yeah, I would say looking back, it was it was the catalyst to freedom. And, you know, like I said, we were homeless. I had to move my two kids across the street with my best friend who said, I'll take you in. You can live here as long as you need to. Um, and I had to look at the house. I just had to, you know, the signs on the door um, was uh, was a rough time. But, you know, the post office actually sends you out coupons when you move <laughs> for a lot of free stuff. <laughs> so we did end up renting a house in the neighborhood and got a boatload of coupons. I'm like, free pizza night. <laughs> and I, I, my daughter, if I pulled her down right now, she was eight years old, well, probably nine at the time um she'd remember it because it was like we have free pizza <laughs> so, you know those are the special moments you make lemons uh lemonade out of lemons when you're going into the next relationship i guess with your now husband are there warning signs that you're now looking at like i don't want to have to go through this for a third time yeah but I want to be able to find someone that's going to treat me right and my kids right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that two year, two plus year, take a break and don't engage in a relationship until you're ready. Um, it's a real thing. And I think, you know, there was, um, and I was lonely. I mean, I, I hadn't had a, like a mental, physical intimate, respectful relationship from someone for 16 years. I mean, and it started early on and it just got worse and worse. So uh, the loneliness was like, oh, well, I've been, a, I haven't really been with anybody in 16 years for, you know, kind of on and off the good days and the bad days of bipolar disorder is when you have a good up cycle with that person, you're like, oh, this is great. I can breathe. I'm, I'm good. We're good. Everything's good you know, I, I love you. Oh my gosh. Um, the look at our family, we're exuberant. And then you wake up the next day or three days later on that downshift and you're like, oh, today I'm going to get kicked in the back of the head. Um, so, you know, the, by the point that I was divorcing, um, I was a lonely person. I needed, I needed someone to just hold my hand. I didn't even mm -hmm. care about anything beyond that intimacy. Look at me. You want to go grocery shopping? Let's go grocery shopping. <laughs> that didn't exist in my life. I did everything. I mean, everything alone. Like the days that he was on an upcycle and went to, you know, Kroger with me, I'm like, I have the best relationship in the world. I'm going to Kroger with my husband, you know, one day out of 10 years, one day out of 10 years, you know? <laughs> um, so no, I was never a hell. I was, I'm like, I don't care how lonely I am. I'll just 
you know, enjoy the company of people now and again, but I am never getting married again. Like we, we got, I remember the day I finally got talked into the dog, Mr. Pudge, um, the kids and I, I'm like, we're good. I, I threw my hands up to the, I say the yaya gods and said, we don't need a man. We're healthy. We're good. We're back on track financially. I feel independent and strong. I've cleared this. I can help people. Um, I can relate to what I'm doing. I can rise to the challenge in every which way. I do not need a man. <laughs> I am woman, hear me roar. And two weeks later, I was out to dinner uh, with a mutual friend having dinner. Um, and there was David. And by the next morning, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> I really, shoot, that is not good. I really like that guy. Um, you know, and as geeky as we are about finance, you know, and, and I'm, mind you, Alex, at this point, I have negative $1,200 in my bank account. I'm scraping two nickels to get a, you know, a, a, to get a new shirt to wear out that night, mm-hmm. um, which I hated. I'm like, you get one hour of my time, girl, <laughs> my best friend, one hour. I look stupid. I'm in a flowery shirt. I don't want to be here. I don't want to meet people. Um, and the by the end of the night, we were making fake stock portfolios with each other to meet up <laughs> to meet up 365 days later to see whose portfolio did better then. Oh <laughs> right. So I, I I say at this juncture, I didn't need a man. I needed the right man. Um, and I, I realize there are right men out there that grocery shop with their wife and do a budget and care about money and care about their job and care about their family and their family's well-being. And that's 10 years later, I'm happy to celebrate my life with my husband. So does David go with you to the grocery store 10 out of the 10 days in a week or seven out of the seven days? I I have to say, here's what I say. He banned me from the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm like, coming home with $300 more than the $100 we planned, you know, I mean, (laughs) he budgets for us. We're not stingy people. We have wealth and we have actually in the last 10 years um, built wealth that is still, you know, to this day, I'm like, look at what we've done in the last 10 years. Um, And that's climbing the glass ceiling. That's breaking the, you know, through a a very male dominated world in finance that's um, saving and planning. But yeah, no, I spent way too much money and he's like, I'm going to Kroger and Meyer and Walmart. And I'm like, okay, I don't even want a grocery shop with you. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not running to three grocery stores to save $8 when you've just spent nine and gas. So, <laughs> you know, but yeah, he, we, we do everything together, literally everything together. During this so, time, do you feel that you can, you fully can be yourself and you can show people the true Cindy and who you yeah. are? Yeah, no, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And that's, I think the one thing, you know, being transparent through a lot of challenge in life um, and allowing people, we were kind of talking before we joined together on recording, but, you know, understanding that if you share the transparency about your life to a degree, I mean, nobody needs to know what I make or exactly what I have in the bank, uh, but they need to know that, you know, and this is what we were saying, I, I work with some people that um, have gone through some pr- pretty traumatic situations in their life. And, you know, absent of um, mine, just learning, you know, somebody opening up, that's a young woman that says she's in an abusive boyfriend relationship um, and taking my hat off in one arena of my life and putting on the, you know, been there, done that hat with her and looking at her in the eyes and saying, you don't have to do this. You are young and beautiful. You are smart. Um, and there, believe me, and when I tell you, there's people out there that will care about you in the way that is right. Um, and having her mother email me five days later saying, I don't know what you said, but I've been trying to tell her for two years to break up with this guy and she broke up with him. And maybe she just needed to hear it from somebody that she could relate to. And I'm in my fifties and she's in her twenties, but you know what? She related to the story and I I'm proud to say she's doing great today. Years later, I've actually put, had, had myself in a couple of those. I, when I got, I got hit by a car two years ago, leaving the office and um, I was a pedestrian. Don't remember a thing. Ended up in the hospital 
um, in a pretty precarious uh, situation for a week. But it, somebody that was rooming with me, she came in and we just started chit-chatting and I could tell this man that kept walking in was her, not her husband, her boyfriend. Um, I could see the change in her. I could see the change. Um, she overheard me talking about trauma to the nurse. And I said, ah, this is nothing until you've been, you know, choked and spit on um, a car, you know, take being a bowling pin to a Ford Edge, no problem. And later that night, she said, can I talk to you? And we were, you know, I'm like pulling the curtain, like, who's the voice behind the curtain, you know? Um, and she confided. Um, and about three weeks later, she ended up um, leaving that guy. <laughs> and I'm like, look, you know, I know, I knew, I knew the minute that guy walked in, he was not your guy. Um, and so I have a few success stories having been through the challenge and rising to the challenge. And God, I couldn't be more happy being able to help anybody that will listen. I think a lot of people can be, relate to that, where if some, they're talking to someone that hasn't been through that situation or they don't have the knowledge to yeah. help that person, it feels like they have a hard time opening up and yeah. trying to talk to them. And I always view it as I'm a type one diabetic. And when I'm talking mm -hmm. to doctors and stuff, the things I'm going through, it's like, yeah. they don't understand because they're not living with it. Right. But when I have conversations with diabetics and I've had them on the show, we have such a great conversation because we both know what each other exactly. are going through. Exactly. You open up more and you kind of look at the situation. You're like, okay, I can do this. I can make a change. And I see yeah. it with in your situation where you're helping these individuals because maybe they needed someone who had that voice and sure. you were that voice for them. And it kind of changed their mentality in a way where they're like, I'm ready to make this change. I'm ready to make a difference. Yeah. Now they're happy because they're ready for that next stage in yeah. their life. And I think your voice is amazing in what you're doing to helping other people, no matter what, even if it's through just chatting or a situation okay. you've gone through, you're helping everyone. And that's great to hear. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I could, I read a lot of self-help books and I'm like, okay, it's, I think the value of actually look, having someone look them in the eye and say, you know, I've been there. Like, if yep. you want to talk about a situation, you know, I met my, so I met David and I'm like, um, little does he know, like this shirt I have on, I can't afford and it's ugly and I shouldn't have bought it. Um, and of course I'm Googling him the, the next day and He's like, comes up in like 18 different languages. He wrote a book on personal finance and budgeting. <laughs> I was like, oh, I am in so much trouble. Like I'm cute and I'm really nice. Well, I mean, I was cuter 10 years ago, but I was cute then. Um, but like, maybe he'll just like me for me. And then, you know, we've talked like, when is that time that you tell somebody like, I got nothing. I have nothing but bad credit at the time. Um and, uh, and I don't have any money, but I, I can give you knowledge and wisdom mm -hmm. and I have a heart and soul that's going to stand by you. If you, if you're loyal to me, I'm, I'm loyal to a fault, which is why I got myself in a situation. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, you know, presenting like that information to him and not having him run for the hills. <laughs> Actually, he said he had a Costco card and I'm like, this is great. I'm a broke ass single mother. And he's like, you know, you want to meet me at Costco a week later? And I'm like, I'm going to get so many bulk goods out of this guy. It was like a gold membership. I mean, I was like, oh, wow, you have like a Costco card. I mean, I didn't even care what job he had, what car he drove. He had a Costco card. So we, a week later, we met at Costco. I'm like, I think I actually really like this guy. <laughs> I'm not going to just use him for his Costco card. It's almost like back then when the Black American Express cards oh, were yeah, out there, yeah. they're like, oh, that person is a Black American mm -hmm. Express. They got some something. And you're, some, you're so excited about someone with a Costco card. Yeah, like, dude, if he can afford a Costco card, maybe this is the man for me. <laughs> <laughs> and he had food all down his shirt. My boss at the time, he's like, you can never go out and date anybody on a dinner date. You can't keep food in your mouth. And I walked into Costco and he was like covered in grime. And I'm like, um, 
you know, you have like, like something on, he's like, oh yeah, it's oatmeal. I'm saving it for later. And I'm like, no, I go card and food on his shirt. I am golden. And you were worried about not wearing the shirt on that. The flowery. <laughs> no, no, he was later. I still have the shirt. I put it on, on our 10, like our 10th year together. And I'm like, Hey, I can still fit in it. And he's like, <laughs> He goes, I thought it was ugly then, and I still think it's ugly now. So, yes, humor, humor. I found humor with a man that I didn't laugh for a long time. Were you shocked that you both had such a passion for finance or in that kind of industry and that it led you guys to bigger opportunities where you're hosting a show about it and you're still in the professional world dealing with finance? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, we've often had the conversation, is it luck? Is it, you know, kismet? Is it destiny? Um, is it coincidence? Like, what, you're in that time, that place in time. I've always, always, and this is, you know, life is by choice. So I had the choice, the choice to follow 780 to Michigan. I had the choice to go into a relationship and stay there when I knew it wasn't good. Um, I had the choice to stick to that for 16 years um, and go through being, you know, humiliated and and beaten both mentally and um, physically. And uh, so basically, once I got to David, I'm like, well, this makes perfect sense. Third time's a a charm seems to be it (laughs) for me and many areas of my life. But, you know, I didn't question it neither of us questioned it. We actually moved so irrationally speaking. And you asked the question about the resume of things that I would accept in and recognize in a relationship. So I was like, Hey, can you, um, not for me, but for my family, like fill out this resume, like, this <laughs> like because the minute I tell them I'm interested in somebody, they're going to crap. They're going to shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Cindy, you've not made good choices. We've stood by you. We've watched you. We've and and I should say this. Um, my parent, I shielded a lot from my parents. I shielded a lot from my family. To this day, and recently I started telling some things, and my poor mother started crying and she said, We failed you. And I said, You didn't fail me. I didn't tell you. I I allowed you to not worry about me till I knew it was a time that you probably needed to worry. Like the exit strategy of divorce was, am I going to get out alive? So we created an exit strategy. Um, so, you know, I, when I look back, I don't want anybody in ever thinking that um, people turned their back on me. My family didn't know to the degree that I was going through this. And, um, and the closest people that I did didn't know how to help. They were equally as scared you know, um, but yeah, meeting David, they were giving their resume and like six months later, we're like, we're moving in together. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, I'm adult, you know, mother, like a real adult in my forties with two children. Um, but he was raising his son on his own. So he had to think he, um, his ex-wife had given up almost both. He had like almost like 90% custody. She had a couple, couple days a week. Uh, that she could have, you know, that she voluntarily gave up. So I knew that a a man that had custody of their child, which is very, very rare, um, the courts always side with the woman, no matter what, um, that he was probably going to be okay. And he had a Costco card. (laughs) I still love the Costco card part. (laughs) You know, it's David's claim to fame with me. Like... (laughs) He's like, man, if this girl is that easy, I am golden, <laughs> right? So he always tells my parents, like, that guy was a complete idiot. And I could be just mildly an idiot and still be better than that guy. So yeah. I'm, in, I'm in great shape. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. And then you get like, okay, I just know. And um, I've checked all the boxes because I knew that I had to check the boxes. I wasn't. And actually, he'll deny it that I wasn't serious about it, but about three months in, I broke up with them. I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure I, I'm an, a very emotional person and you're not, you're actually very almost aloof and nonchalant um, and, and too logical. You're like, he was too normal. We were used to chaos, like finding chaos at that point. So um, 
he's like, no, you're, I'm not letting you get, give up a good thing. I'm not, I'm not going to let you give up something from someone that actually is willing to take care of you and wants to, and wants to own everything that you've gone through with you. So it's weird. We have a super great, happy grocery shopping, everything together relationship to this day, 10 years later. I'm going to go back to the whole, your yeah. passion for acting. It sounds like I'm listening to like a, something that needs to be made into a movie, like your story. Uh, and every, and it's, it's just, it's just, it's, it's even so- deeper than this. I'm, I'm telling you, there's like some of the stuff from the ex-husband is, is, is a movie. But it's nice to know that a lot of positives have happened in your life now. And just seeing you smile and be enjoying everything that's going, that's the important part. And when, even when I was just talking to both of you, it was just, you could just feel that you guys care so much about each other. And that's the important part. And it's, everyone has that rise to the challenge and you went through a lot of that, but you've learned so much about yourself that you are continuing to grow each day. Yeah. Oh, I'm a work in progress. I'm not done. I'm nowhere near done. Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah. So what made you guys want to start a podcast and what's been the best part about doing it? Um, Well, I honestly, like the first probably several months that we were together just dating, we're like, we, we need to join forces. Like you're on the well side, I'm on the budget side and the personal side. And, um, you know, he runs our house like a, a business. Um, I think it was just always, we were going to write a book. I've, I mean, I've been, you know, I've, I've started penning a book for years and years and then I start it and I relive the, the part of the details of my life that I, you know, I have enough in my nightmares. Maybe do I want to even go through that? Right. Do I want to relive that? Um, and so we always came to grips with, Okay, maybe the the um, the broken woman book isn't what I should do. It should be how the broken woman met. You know, I would say he didn't say this, but like her prince charming, <laughs> he, he might. But um, you know, and and really dug out and really like having that inside the house and going to work and and being somebody that is, you know, I worked my, I mean, I literally worked my way up from being on the front line in service on the service side to um, being recruited into management. So I was a manager of, you know, seven branches and, and I had 45 direct people directly reporting to me. Um, And they were all the peers that I came from, you know, the peer group lifted me up because they said, she's a leader. We want, we love that. She's, now in charge of our teams mm-hmm. uh, because she's been there and she knows the hard work it takes and she knows what it takes to be on the front line. Um, so, you know, just lifting up through that. Um, so David and I always like, we never ever questioned what it was a matter of when, not if, what would we do together? Do we go out on the road? That's what we're ultimately our goal when the pandemic hit was like, all right, let's get ourselves in gear to, get like hit the open road um, and put a big brain on the side of a, you know, on the side of a converter van, conversion van, and um, just go speak to individuals, high schools, offices. There's, you would not believe how many people don't save and budget and don't have the, the, even the knowledge to do that. And that's like our kids, you know, they do it now, but we had to sit down like every kid in our house, like you're, your rite of passage and your gift. We we have a gift for you when you graduate college. And they're like, what? Sit down. Here's a spreadsheet. <laughs> this is called a budget. Um, this is a 401k. So when you get a real job and you have one of these things that have a four and a zero and a one and a K behind it, you're going to get into that. Um, and this is what a budget looks like. And if you have this amount of money, that's how much you can spend. When you have this amount, you have cut out all these other things. That's how much you can spend. So um, we always knew that we wanted to help in that regard. And just like the message is one-on-one. If I can help one person at a time, not be in an abusive situation, understand that no money, no, no wealth or money or lack thereof is worth being in a situation like that. Um, I actually educate on 401k and, and people are like, I can't save another dollar you know, here's what I tell them. Yes, you can. <laughs> and I can tell you how. Go look at your last four months of bank statements. 
And I always say, like, part of my speech is like, look, I like my wine and my whiskey. There's never not going to be a budget in that grocery bill for that. But I always pay myself first. Um, I have saved an exponential amount of money. I have grown my wealth and my job status by just hard work and perseverance. And if you think you can't get there, you're wrong. I was a beaten dog. I'm not kidding. Um, but you can get there. And so that was the message, you know, the, then the pandemic hit first. Well, then I got hit by a car and that was a year of surgeries and, and being kind of out to lunch a little bit. Um, and then the pandemic hit. So we're like, okay, well, everybody's starting a podcast. Let's get in on the game. So, I mean, to be honest, we're like, why? Well, we can do this. And we sucked at like sucked at first, but those are some funny outtakes. Let me tell you. <laughs> I can't bleep, bleep, bleep. David's like, no, you're going to bleep, bleep. I bought all this bleeping equipment. And I'm like, okay, 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 fine. <laughs> so, you just have a full episode that's just bloopers. And that's oh, like literally. the top we did episode loop. people are watching. <laughs> yeah. And we honestly were like, played it back for my parents who are loyal listeners. And they're like, we don't think this is funny. <laughs> this is like you two yelling at each other like, literally no that's not funny so they're, that, they're worried know. they're worried like uh is this gonna lead to a divorce you guys right, are yelling at right. each other they're like and, and <laughs> yeah and wait it sounds like Cindy's being really abusive here <laughs> I'm like you know David you sound terrible and I mean we just laughed because I, I felt like I sounded like Fran Drescher and in, in the oh, very God. beginning like I sound like the nanny. This is not good. What a classic show that is. Oh, right. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> See, I, I grew up, that was on TV, I think. Okay. So I know that show. The other, the gong, the gong show. show. Okay, yeah. fine. Whatever. Well, didn't they make like a newer version? Yeah, I they thought, did. They I didn't even did. watch that. So I have no idea. No, no. Is I, there okay. anything that you are hoping to accomplish. So what does the future look like for you personally and professionally? Um, I think professionally, you know, what we've set ourselves up to do is retire on time. Um, so going from a negative $1,200 to having um, wealth in my pocket that I can logistically say, I'm going to retire early, actually not even on time. Retirement on time would be age 65 um, I'm hoping to achieve that um, in the next, you know, five to six years. I'm turned 55 this year. So, um, you know, retiring early and then um, just taking our message to the road. I mean, that would be it. Just, you know, getting in front of people. The accomplishment would be finally writing, finishing the book, not even writing it, finishing it. It's been started um, and just sort of relating to, you know, you look at TikTok, right? Yes. And TikTok's full of people doing what we're doing. So we're no, this is no mystery. This is a bunch of people figuring that they have an avenue to do exactly what we did, which was get in front of people in a big grand scale, dance a little bit, point <laughs> at little things, you know, I did it. Um, I get it. Um, I'm, I'm learning, but, you know, I see I see young adults on there that are 18 and 25 being really successful financial entrepreneurs, like making, understanding it, which is awesome. Um, and then there's part of me like, oh, you haven't lived life. You haven't, you're only, but you know what? I was 18 once and I thought, I look back now, like if I had the fortitude to learn it and grow it and teach it then, I mean, these, these individuals are so successful because they get it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to just teach that, okay, now you've got the principles and the, the tools to do this. Now let's take it another step because now I've actually lived a certain amount of things in my life that you don't want to look back with regret. You don't want to not put away to your 401k. You want to pay yourself first and just teach that at our age and our level. I mean, I love that there are young adults out there spreading the message. I could not be more excited about the industry and the message. I love finance. I just love it. <laughs> you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> See, I feel like they need to start teaching that in college. Nobody teaches it. Well, and that was, yeah, they that's don't. The hard part because I think in high school, I took a personal, that you had to take a personal finance class. Yeah. 
But none of that information was like anything like that. It was like, right. oh, how do you write a check? How do you That's use it. a credit? Exactly. And I'm like, okay, I could have learned that on Google. But like, right. teach this stuff. And I think when I was growing up, I, w- I was a person, I'm like, I don't want to spend $10 on this. I'm right. at the grocery store. Instead of like how you were paying 300 for a hundred yeah. budget, I'm like, yeah. nope, I'm going yeah. 95. Yeah. I got to save that $5 just in case for taxes. Exactly. You get it. And I was, yeah. and my mom always yells. She's like, spend money on yourself. And I'm yeah. like, okay. Yeah. But I think it's one of those things where I look at my friends during college and I'm like, I wish they saved. Yeah, yeah. They some of them are struggling now, yeah. and I kind of help them, not like financially. Yeah. I just giving them advice, like, "Oh, this is how I've been saving. Do you really need to buy that membership or something?" Yeah. But I think, like you said, that generation or my generation, you ge- yeah. have that information because yeah. when they get out into the real world, it's gonna affect them big time. Big and- time. And I guess, I guess with TikTok and stuff, if those people are talking about it on there, they're hitting that chord. They're hitting it. Exactly. Maybe they'll take that information, learn it and run with it. Yeah, no. And I think that's exactly what's happening. I mean, I I know one in particular and she has like 2 million followers. And and at first I'm like, what do you know? You know, me, (laughs) like, you don't know anything. You're you're 18. You haven't lived of financial. And then I started studying, like really reading about this person. I'm like, she created an app. She's, she's understands finance. She legitimately understands finance. Um, Cause I'm like, somebody must be feeding her this information, just like cue cards. But uh, no, this girl is um, 18 or 19 at this point and understands it. And, and we actually interviewed two gentlemen that started the, um, the app uh, Rapunzel. And Brian Curcio and um, Miles Gage, two of the youngest, brightest people. They were, they're our oldest son's age. They're in their like, you know, mid to late 20s now. But they started an app because they were in school and they had this challenge. And they're um, actually one, you know, Brian came up from a, I think, a, you know, rather well, weller to do family. And Miles came from um, not so well to do, but had a mother. Who, who got him interested in finance and he won a scholarship into this private school and they became friends instantly and, and realized that this is a place that they need to start um, getting the bigger message out. So they started a finance app, which is an investment app. So if you're listening to this, go check out Rapunzel. It's actually a, a mock portfolio, but they give away scholarships. So, you know, that's, we interviewed them and I got off the phone. I'm like, I'm so intimidated by these two. <laughs> and I've just spent 30 years in the business. I felt like, oh my gosh, they're so well-spoken. They're so articulate about finance. Um, good for them, you know? And so we we just want to be part of the promotion of um, health and well-being because so many people don't save. They're working well into their 70s. They, you know, I mean, the pandemic, I think, was proof that people don't have an emergency fund. They don't have three to six months in their pocket if some crazy unforeseen thing like COVID-19 hits Hmm. um, and all of a sudden the world's on lockdown and out of work. And, you know, that was evidenced by the fact that people were losing their homes. People were being sent out onto the streets. And and luckily the the government stepped in to say, hey, you can't, there's no way you're going to get rid of these people out of their homes. You know, they can't help it. Um, but what they can help and hopefully learn from that you have to save to account for anything unforeseen. We never not have money. I mean, we make a great living. So we're one of the lucky ones. But you know what? I work really hard for my living, really hard. Um, and I work hard to save that because in five hopeful years from now, um, I'm going to be in a red convertible with palm trees in my rear view mirror. <laughs> And, and on a beach somewhere. And, and I earned it and I saved for it. Um, so that's the message I give, you know, when I stand in front of people and they cross their arms and say, I can't spend another, I can't save another dollar. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I always tell this story and I'm sorry, I'm babbling, but I'm, like, you're good, you're good. I, I know, well, I gave this, this education yesterday and people are like, how did it go? And I said, well, if you like the, you know, eyelids of people, it was great. Cause that's all they saw. They have no idea what I look like. They use my hour as nap time. <laughs> like all they saw was their, their backs of their eyelids. But 
you know, the story I always tell is when I would go to work and I had one colleague, I'm like, I am so broke. I'm like, I can't afford anything. Like, I don't have Christmas for my kids. And he's like, well, you have a Starbucks in your hand. How'd you buy that? I'm like, it's $2.89. And he's like, you do the math, sister. <laughs> like that $3 coffee over 20 years um, is about, I think it was like $40,000 in 20 years, right? Yeah. Compound interest is your best friend. Start early. It doesn't matter. $5 is better than $0. That's what I know now. If I could go back to young Cindy and be like, shake myself, like, what are you doing? Um, your kids don't need Subway. They need you to sit at a dinner table and talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and to this day, our kids are in their 20s and we have family dinner over Jeopardy. And it doesn't matter if we're eating a, an egg and bacon. We're just having a conversation and have, you know, it's amazing how much you can save if you just cut out. You don't even have to cut out coffee. Just work that into your budget. Yep. Just budget. Just know where your money is going. Oh God, I could just go on all day. How much time do you have? <laughs> so the final question I'll ask you for sure. someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Oh, first I tell them to if they're gonna be on video, make sure their hair looks better <laughs> than mine. <laughs> rise, rise to that challenge, please. Yeah, this has been a long week. Um to be serious is that when you find yourself in adverse situations, seek the help that you need. So that's like key number one. You don't need to hide what you're going through. So hiding that doesn't help you speaking about it and finding people, whether it's um, you call a hotline of domestic abuse, whether you call a hotline and say, I'm living with a a person who's threatening to kill themselves, which is what I also experienced. Um, You know, there's, there's help you, you need not to hide behind any facade. If you're in trouble, you need to talk to people to help you get out of it. Don't hide it. That would be number one. Um, Number two is, you know, this is really hard because I didn't find it for a long time, but eventually I dug deep enough to find true inner value and a, the challenges I went through um, the help I can give to the people that have gone through the same situation or in the same situation. Um, and truly just understand, like my daughter started a new job and she started a pretty big job right out of college, pretty impressive, really. And she said, I don't belong there. And I said, yes, what are you talking about? You got that job. You went and you rose above all the other applicants there and, and you sold yourself because the, it's not selling yourself. You talked about what you did to get yourself there. And you got a very unique position in a professional sports organization that not everybody gets. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to believe in yourself. And that's the hardest challenge to rise above is truly believing your self-worth. The minute you realize like you can do this and you've got this and you've, you know, associated with the right people, this disconnect with the wrong people, disconnect with the people that don't provide value when you're in those situations. Because I can tell you this, people will take advantage of you and they took advantage of me and they will take advantage of weak people. It's human nature. It's just a weird, it's like, I want to drive by that car accident because I just need to see the car accident. People like when, you know, if you're miserable and they're miserable, they want you to stay miserable mm-hmm. with them. Rise above that, rise above their misery. You have to delineate like what's good for you and who's good for you. And, you know, it's that's part of the journey. Just letting letting yourself understand who you are and, and taking all the negatives out that don't provide value associate with, you know, the birds of the feather get, you can get there. So um, I would say those are the two biggest things. If uh, you know, and, and find the work, like if you grew up in a trailer park or uh, the streets of Chicago or whatever, it doesn't mean you're not worth the same thing that the president of the United States is worth. Mm-hmm. You can get there if you really want to just, you know, I mean, obviously environmental challenges and 
and house challenges and domestic challenges. I'm not discounting that. I, I, you know, I, I provided those challenges to my kids and they rose above it. So well, Cindy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking thanks. about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited. Thank to see you. What it looks like for you. All right. Thanks. Sorry. I'm a, I babbled a little bit, but <laughs> I, I appreciate the time. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.